Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. I always wonder what I'm supposed to say when we come back from our our week-long hiatus. I mean, I'm introduced as Kevin Randall. You know it's a different perspective, and I've noticed on a lot of the programs, even though they've got their name underneath them on the television or whatnot, it says they always introduce themselves. So I am truly Kevin Randall. I will be joined by Monte Shriver today. I'm going to take a bit of time here because we're talking about the Aztec UFO crash, and the latest book about that came out from... Uh, Scott Ramsey. And I invited Scott Ramsey on the program to talk about his book, but he sent me a snarky response and said he didn't want to support my program because I had been more than a little critical of his first book, which was filled with some what I thought of misrepresentations and uh, poor research, some faulty conclusions and that sort of thing. But I, I wanted to give him an opportunity to explain what was new about his, his book. And I wanted to give him a chance to explain why he thought the things that he did. Now, as I said, we're talking about the Aztec UFO crash with Monty Shriver. And the important thing that you have to remember about the, the Aztec UFO crash is unlike Roswell, there was no, nothing about it in the newspapers. There was no military documentation that could be found about it. There was no discussion about it until um, literally months maybe a couple of years afterwards, and a book came out called Behind the Flying Saucers, and it talked about this crash in Roswell, in Aztec, Mexico. The sources for this were two con men, uh, Silas Newton and Leo G. Bauer. They had uh, created a device that they claimed could find mineral deposits underground, oil deposits and that sort of thing, and they were out pushing this device to... Uh, people in Colorado and New Mexico and Arizona. The thing was to 
provide, uh, uh, I guess, what you might say, uh, a reason to buy this device was they were claiming it was alien technology. And it was alien technology that had been recovered at the crash of, of this UFO in Aztec, New Mexico. They were late, later convicted of fraud and uh, that sort of thing. And I think they, they spent some time in jail. The interesting thing about Silas Newton is he was no dummy. I think he had attended Princeton. He was a, a, a very good uh, amateur golfer and, and, and participated in a number of tournaments that he won. But it seemed that he was also a con man. If there were two ways to make money, uh, a legitimate way and a con, he was going to go with the con every time. It was just his lifestyle and what he did. But the whole story of the Aztec comes back to these two con men. Now, you'll hear people who believe Aztec was real saying, well, they're not the only witnesses. They're not the only ones who were there. This is where um, Monty Shriver comes in. He grew up in Aztec, New Mexico. He went to the uh, Aztec, New Mexico high school and graduated in 1952. Uh, he graduated from New Mexico State University in 1957 and was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Air Force, called to active duty in April of 1958. He attended Air Intelligence Officer Corps at Shepard Air Force Base and then was stationed in Korea and signed to various things in Korea during that time as a an intelligence officer, and this is an active duty intelligence officer, and he had a lot of things to do like that. So he's got a, a fine background as a military man and education, and more importantly, he was in Aztec, New Mexico in March of 1948 when this thing supposedly crashed. Monty, say hello to us. Hello, Kevin, and everyone that's listening. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, we're going to have to take our break here in just a few minutes, and we will do that. But uh, you were there in March of 1948 when this alleged crash took place. Is that correct? That's correct. And you'll be able to tell us about what was going on in Aztec, New Mexico in 1948, and then we'll be able to talk about some of the witnesses who supposedly come forward and some of the people who are claiming that there was a crash in Aztec, New Mexico, and look at some of the problems with the witness testimony and some of the things that have been said about that. Uh, when we're done here, of course, you can all take a look at my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I'll have a little bit more information there. We may have some uh, links to other sites that you can take a look at information to get an idea of where we're coming from with all of this. And if you so desire, you can take a look at Roswell in the 21st century, which uh, has a discussion of how the Roswell case evolved and compare it to the way the Aztec case evolved and see some of the problems with all of that. As I said when we began, we're going to have to take a quick break and then we'll be back and we'll discuss this whole thing with uh, Monty Shriver. We'll be right back. Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, 
Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. President of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good to Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. 
With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. And as I promised just moments ago, we would be back, and we are. I don't know why it's necessary to announce it, because it's obvious that we are back. I know I dominated the first segment here. Um, I thought there were some things that we needed to clarify and some things that need to be said. And uh, Monty didn't get to say much other than, hi, he's Monty. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Shriver. And uh, we'll bring him on now. Monty, I, uh, I think the first thing to do is you were at the, as we said, you were at the Aztec High School in March of 1948 when the crash took place. Did anybody talk about it at that time? Was there anything going on to suggest something unusual had happened in the area? No. In, uh, in fact, I never heard a thing about any UFO crash at Hart Canyon until the early 2000s when I lived in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and went up to see my mother. And there was a copy of the local paper there, the Talon, and it had a letter in it about the Aztec UFO Symposium, which that was the first time I'd heard about it. And there were some things in the letter about canyons and where they moved a craft and didn't make sense to me. So I wrote a letter to the Talon and gave her my thoughts. So if anyone can find that, why, it'll tell you exactly when it was. But then, uh, so let me go back and kind of review a little of time. Well, let me, let me make two comments oh, here. Hart, Hart, yeah. Cannon, Hart Cannon, of course, is near Aztec, New Mexico. It's just within miles of the city limits. And... Uh, so, so we need to make make that clear. And you stayed in um, New Me- at Aztec until 1952. So you were there in 1948, and you stayed there for a number of years after this alleged crash. Yeah, correct. Okay, I so you were going to say before I interrupted you. Okay, uh, I never remember hearing a thing about a saucer till sometime in the late 40s or maybe 1950. I remember a friend of mine and I were out in the backyard of his place. He had one of these old cardboard telescopes, and we were trying to see if we could see anything in the sky, and we couldn't. And the only thing I could think of that might have been at the time of the Farmington Armada. Uh, now, we, we need, we could, that was, the Farmington Armada was in 1950, is that correct? 
Yeah, that's correct. Uh-huh. And this was a series of sightings near Farming, New Mexico, which is not all yeah, that far from that's, Aztec. That's right. And, you know, that could have been why we were out with our telescope by looking around. I, I really don't remember. But this has really nothing to do with the Aztec crash. No, nothing to do with it. Uh-uh. It sure didn't. So what I did after I went to the meeting, the, I attended the, the UFO Symposium in 2011, which is the only time I attended it, and unfortunately it was the last time it was on. And I heard about some more about the books that were written about it. I heard about Scully's book, Bill Steinman's book. Now, Scully's book. Uh, Scully's book was Scully's book was behind the flying saucers, and Steinman's book was UFO crash at Aztec, which came out in 1968. Right. And although I, I hesitate to t- say this, it was co-authored by Wendell Stevens, who spent six years in jail for child molestation. So I'm not really sure there's anything Wendell Stevens could say that we would really care about hearing. But uh, he was a co-writer on this book with. Um, with uh, Bill Steinman, and you were going to say, and then finally there was Scott Ramsey's book. Yeah, Scott. So I got all three of those books and started reading through them. Well, I saw a few things in uh, Scully's book, and then it gave me concern. I just couldn't understand how it could be right. Steinman's book, although there were some interviews in, I'll refer later, um, basically one thing he said that uh, he talked to a rancher and Blanco, New Mexico, and his place is on the banks of the Animas River, and really it's on the banks of the San Juan River. I mentioned that in my first book, and then in Ramsey's second book, he said it was now on the banks of the Navajo River. So it's these kind of inconsistencies that really uh, piqued my interest. But when you look at something, when you look at something like that, and these really fine details, especially with people who don't live in the area, I mean, are, are those sorts of mistakes really kind of relevant, or the, the kind of things you would expect? I mean, when I look at stuff that's done by people who have never served in the military, you of course have, uh, but they make a lot of mistakes about the military, the way it works, the way it operates, and that sort of thing. And it just is sort of a, uh, I guess, a position of ignorance as opposed to anything that is really relevant to the discussion. And isn't that kind of detail sort of that sort of thing kind of irrelevant to the discussion of a crash uh well not really in my opinion what i was looking at because stan friedman really uh bragged about ramsey's research so i said let's go in and look at all of the research and my view is if he's got 30 items that he says are true and i can prove 15 of them are wrong then i'm convinced i'm not going to trust any of the other 15 and this was just one of the many. Sure, this was a minor one, but the point is I'd corrected it in my my book, and he turned around and changed it to a, another river that's either further away. I mean, that's a minimum thing, but I found error after error in his book that I've detailed. Well, let's uh, talk about let's talk about this uh, fellow named Nolan, which okay. is, I guess, an important important part in in the story. Now he is he is an alleged eyewitness to the recovery operation in Hart Canyon, Aztec, New Mexico. Uh, what do we know about about him? As far as I'm concerned, I've co- totally discredited him, and he's totally discredited himself. First, he said he lived in Mancus, Colorado, and worked around Aztec. He said that he got up at 5 o'clock in the morning in Mancus. It's about a 50-mile drive from Mancus. So that meant, you know, if it took him an hour, he got up at 4 o'clock. 
and then you have to get up and you know make your coffee, et cetera. I said, okay, he got up at three thirty. If he did that five days a week, then he said, as a nineteen-year-old boy, he also knew everyone in Aztec. He was familiar with all of the uh, law enforcement people that were there, and he said later that. After he left Mancus, he moved to Aztec, worked in the oil field, and was a, a known worker in the community of Aztec. Well, I went to my uh, class reunion, I think it was, after I'd done this research, and I said, does anyone ever remember a Doug Nolan living or working in Aztec? Remember, Aztec had about 800 people in 1950. Everyone knew everyone else. And if he had worked, and many of the people that were in my classes there, I had the class of 51 and 52, worked for El Paso Natural Gas. They either we, had we should, ex- we, we should explain. We should explain that Nolan claimed he worked for El Paso Natural Gas in 1948, because that's an important that's point. Correct. So you yeah. asked your classmates, did they know this fellow who worked worked uh, at El Paso Natural Gas? <laughs> In any time frame in Aztec, New Mexico, and their answer yeah, was? Not a, one of them had ever heard of him, and many of these were people were businessmen that lived there, which was quite odd, because everyone knew the people there. And uh, let's see, I got some more notes about him. Well, let's... Oh, let's he, go ahead. No, go, no, you were about to say something. Okay. Go ahead with that. Well, when he now what he reported to, and this again, remember, was a telephone interview with Ramsey, I think, in nineteen or two thousand and three, or, or thereabouts, some fifty years after the fact. And he said he couldn't remember, although he knew everyone, he couldn't remember any of their names because he was re- recovering from a stroke. Yet he got to the so-called UFO or flying saucer. He explained it in minute detail, even about the diagrams on it. I thought for a guy that supposedly had a stroke, how could he not remember anyone that he supposedly knew? And these were people who would have been at the flying saucer crash because according to the story that he's telling, there were a whole bunch of people there around the crash saucer when, when he and his pal arrived. Right, and he said everyone from there's only one person there he didn't know that was a Manuel Sandoval, I think it was from Cuba, and that's Cuba, New Mexico. Cuba, I'm sorry, yeah, Cuba, New Mexico. So I started adding all of these things up, and nothing made sense on what he. Especially, I said, how do you do that? You know, drive 50 miles. You're a 19 year old kid. How are you able to work? Well, then, in listening to one of Scott Ramsey's interviews, one of his videos, I listened to it. He said, well, he and Ramsey showed up, or uh, Ramsey, Doug Nolan, said that he and his boss, Bill Ferguson, were driving around in a pickup going to work, and they got a call on their Motorola radio telling them to go check the uh, saucer side out. There's supposed to have been a fire at the drip tanks in Hart Canyon. Well, uh, in the book, according to Ramsey, he drove directly to Bill Ferguson's house, his boss, where he heard about it, and then they went to the crash site because it had been reported to them that there was a fire around their big drip tanks, and they had to go check that out. They discovered there was no fire in the drip tanks, and this was 
allegedly at the base in Hart Canyon, at the base of where the saucer had landed upon top of the mesa. Well, let, let, let's just take a moment with these drip tanks. Drip tanks are exactly what? And if there was a fire around them, would that be a, a potential disaster? It could be because uh, the drip tanks are where you would use for many things. But in this case, because I talked to a guy that hauled oil to them, uh, you would bring in oil from all the wells around there. They would run it through separators uh, and heat them to get the water out of the oil. The oil would be stored in tanks and then pumped down to what El Paso Natural Gas Company called their Blanco plant, which is by Bloomfield, New Mexico. The oil would go there for processing. Well, here's a key question. Here's a key yeah. question. Um, when did El Paso Natural Gas get to Aztec, New Mexico? When did they build their facilities? Okay. Uh, remember, Ramsey, or, uh, Nolan said he worked for them in 1948. When I made my presentation on the, on the second book to the San Juan County Historical Society last year in 2016, a guy said, wait a minute, that's wrong. He, uh, he couldn't have worked there in 1948 because El Paso didn't show up here until 1950. And this guy was a local historian. And I said, how do you know that? He said he referred me to book, the book The Pipeliners, which was the history of El Paso natural gas. And they actually had a big contract to develop, uh, to deliver 300 million cubic feet of gas a day to Pacific Gas and Electric so it would uh, ship it up to the San Francisco area. So El Paso had to do two things. They had to drill all the wells in the San Juan Basin and at the same time lay a pipeline over to their big line, probably around Flagstaff, Arizona. And so the guy said he couldn't have worked for him then because they didn't show up here until 19... The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick! Sorry, kids! Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Could there been could there been another company working in the area that might have he might have been confused uh, simply because it had been so long ago? Uh, well, remember uh, Ramsey in the book he or in the now remember Ramsey had three authors besides himself in the first book. So when I say Ramsey, I don't know who really wrote that specific thing in there. But uh, the interesting thing was I showed a copy. In his last book, on page 18, he had a copy, and it said, these are the oil drip tanks at the base of Hart Canyon Mesa in 1948. Well, I, since a, a friend of mine who worked for El Paso then said, oh, yeah, those were the El Paso natural uh, uh, drip tanks uh, in Hart Canyon. And he said, I was ha uh, hauling oil into them in 62. I said, well, if El Paso didn't start there until 1950, uh, when, when were these drip tanks put in? He said, well, 
He said, I don't remember because I didn't work there then, but I just got word an old retiree from El Paso Natural Gas passed away. I'll go to the funeral. Monty, we're going to have said. to we're going to have oh. to take a break. I'm coming up against a hard break here. I'm sorry. We'll interrupt you. Uh, we'll be back right after this, and we'll get the date those tanks were put in. Okay, no problem. Dreams are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder, Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influence her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Mnemology science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Mnemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? 
there are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. And we escaped just a few minutes ago. Uh, we were right up against a hard break. I was hoping that Monty would tell us when those drip tanks were built before I broke before I broke in, but he just was dragging it out a little bit long. So we'll get back to that. The drip tanks that are uh, allegedly that our, our pal Doug Nolan was working at were built in Hart Canyon in what year, according to the documentation? Uh, the three retirees that had worked there at the time said that the best of their knowledge, they agreed the drip tanks were put in between 1953 and 1955. So we have a we have a major problem with Nolan's story then, because there couldn't have been a well, fire we have around. A yes, and we have a major problem with the, the latest book. And actually, this picture was in the first book. I didn't pick up on it that said these are the oil drip tanks at the base of Hart Canyon Mason, 1948. So uh, they weren't there. So that, that really kind of uh, causes a trouble. But once again, I'm, I'm thinking that, that um, the people putting together the book and, and the people who don't live in the area might have been a little bit confused by that. And I'm not sure that's a, a major problem. What I'm worried about is this Doug Nolan guy now who claims he was working there, and he was 19 years old in 1948, is that correct? That's correct. That's what he said. And I'm thinking that if I'm 19 years old in 1948, um, I might be uh, talking to the high school students because they're basically my age. Uh, they're not that much younger than me. So uh, I would think that, that you all would have, have been aware of him, at least, in the area. Is there any documentation that was presented that suggested he worked at El Paso Natural Gas or that he worked there in 1948 or he was in, in Aztec in any capacity at all? Well, uh, number one, you said that any high school you know, students know him. Remember, in 19, when he said he was 19, he was living in Mancus, Colorado. I understand. And driving five days a week to go to work there. And again, no one in Aztec ever remembered him. He couldn't have worked for El Paso Natural Gas in 1948 because it didn't show up in the area until 1950. And then these drip tanks that allegedly where they went to see if the fire was threatening them wasn't built to a period of 1953 to 1955. So I personally think his hot air is the best I can think of about his story. Is there anybody in Aztec who is claiming that they were involved in the recovery operation or saw the craft at all uh, from 1948? I mean, is there anybody in Aztec who's... who's... Okay, in the, in the second book, they said I was in the vi vocal minority of Aztec residents who say they had never heard about it. N to date, I have never heard of anyone from I call the old-timers. My age group who lived there at the time, not a single one of them has ever said anything happened in Hart Canyon. And I've gone into detail about that. 
in my book. Well, I remember uh, I remember Carl Lorenzen uh, when when this all exploded in an article about the Aztec UFO crash as a hoax. I guess it was Robert Spencer Carr in the mid 1950s. I'm sorry, my 1970s had said that uh, he had talked to five people who had been involved in this Aztec retrieval, and Carl Lorenzen had talked to the sheriff, the guy who was the sheriff there in 1948, and he said there were, that nothing had happened. And I think his son had been involved with the sheriff's department in some capacity as well and said that nothing happened. So we have the law enforcement people who were there at the time, 1948, interviewed uh, what, 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 about 30 years later saying that they remembered nothing about this. Um, any, any law enforcement has come forward and said, yes, I was involved in this Heart Canyon thing? Well, in the, in the new book, Ramsey claims a guy by the name of Wright McEwen was a deputy sheriff and was at the site. Well, there was a, a Wright McEwen, and he uh, worked for both Roy Sullivan, who was a sheriff at the time. Bruce Sullivan was the son that said his dad never said anything about it. And he worked for, um, let's see, I forget who was a sheriff before, uh, Bruce, uh, Sullivan. But it's funny because in the new book, uh, Ramsey maintained that McEwen ended up at another person's house and asked for directions to Hart Canyon because he wanted to take, uh, he was going out, he'd heard about a Christ there. I talked to his cousin about that. His cousin, as a matter of fact, was my classmate. And she said, basically, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. He says, Wright McEwen grew up three miles from the entrance to Hart Canyon, and everyone in the county knows where Hart Canyon is. Now, why he was seven miles away asking someone, how do you find Hart Canyon, to me just adds to the lack of credibility in this book in general. Well, there was a guy named um, what Harold Dunning, I think it was, who oh, who, yeah. uh, who surfaced uh, who surfaced in Steinman's book, and Steinman said he wouldn't talk to him, and and, and said that he'd been threatened by the government or something. Um, you know Howard Dun or Harold Dunning? I knew him. He was a great friend of my dad's. They were coffee drinking buddies. Everyone called him Hi Dunning. And in the book, Steinman, I think Steinman is the first one that said that the Dunning family was uh, r roughly uh, quarantined on their ranch when the so-called soldiers or the investigators showed up. They were quarantined on their ranch. Their land was taken from them, and their telephones were monitored. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions, even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick. Sorry, kids. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One NA member FDIC. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. 
It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Make sure no one was uh, happy or was, to, you know, just listen to conversations. Well, it happens I grew up with Jack Dunning, who was the son of High Dunning. Jack was a few years older than me. And everyone in the county knew, or in Aztec, knew Jack Dunning. And I said, Jack, what about this story that I heard? He says, well, number one, he says, our, we were not quarantined on the house. They never bought our, uh, they never took our land away from us. And our telephone couldn't have been tapped because we didn't have one. I'm the only person of all the investigators that ever talked to Jack Dunning, who was the son of High Dunning. And when Steinman t- uh, tried to interview him, uh, he said nothing happened up Hart Canyon. So, you know, these are the things I know from people I know that I grew up with and ask them about what happened. Well, I think what's interesting is that um, in Steinman's book, he gives the impression that uh, Dunning um, was more than hostile when he came to talk to him and suggested that it was all a result of the CIA pressuring the guy to stop talking about it. Um, You had to know High Dunning. He's what I call an old-time cowboy, and I don't think anybody would pressure High Dunning. (laughs) I remember Steinman assumed, I think he said, well, High Dunning looked nervous and bothered. Yes. And I think he also interviewed Wright McEwen. He used initials, and I figured out who the initials are. This is in Steinman's book. He interviewed uh, Wright McEwen. He said it was on his tractor. If I recall, I'd have to go back and look specifically. I thought it was High Dunning on the tractor, but you could be no. right. But I one of them was, was on a tractor. <laughs> yes. I think it was Wright McEwen, and this is the one that uh, said he never went up Hart Canyon, and he never knew anything about it. He's the one that, in the latest Ramsey book, said he had to ask directions on how to get there, which, uh, you know, that's just incredible to think that. When I made my first, well, there's so much more we haven't got into, you know, about the roads and all of the embellishments in there. I got a but list I think, of all. I, I, yes, and, and, and I was going to say, I, but this gets us out into the weeds, and a lot of people uh, you know, are not familiar with Aztec, New Mexico, or that area of New Mexico. You know, it really doesn't make a lot of um, difference to them. It does make a lot of sense to them because they can't envision that. But when you begin talking about witnesses like High Dunning, who was there, you who were there, and uh, the problems with some of the stories like Doug Nolan is telling, that becomes an important point to understand the whole Aztec thing. Um, are you, I don't know if you've done any research on this, but there was a guy named um, Donald Bass who they claimed was involved in this in some fashion. Are you familiar with that story at all? Only because of what Virgil Riggs said. Okay. I've got more questions about Virgil Riggs than you can imagine, about his veracity, if you will. 
what Riggs did, and this is in the book, I think in 2007, well, it go well, yeah, in 2007, he wrote a detailed story about how he was growing up in Aztec in the 40s and 50s, and he heard it in the school, the students were talking about the incident. Had you heard about the crash in Hart Canyon and everything? Well, of course, this was at the time when neither I or my friends knew anything about it. Well, in in the first book Ramsey put out, he said in 2003, uh, Riggs contacted uh, Stan Friedman and said, I just heard your show. I lived in Aztec at the time. I, you know, basically repeated the same story. Then he talked to Ramsey, and Ramsey said he had several conversations with him. There's nothing in the book about his conversation with Ramsey. It was this 2007 memo that Frank Warren published that what, uh, uh, in the Ramsey book, they republished that letter. And just, you know, I looked at the dates, and... You know, I, I'm a researcher for a whole number of reasons, and he, I looked at the numbers, and he said in 2007, he, in writing, he says, I am now 63 years old. So I subtracted that, and that goes you back to 1944. Well, that means in 1948, when he started saying they heard about things in school, he was four years old. So he would have been six years old in 1950. So I don't know how he remembers everything about that time frame. Well, then he said he was, uh, he, or Ramsey reported he was in the military for 20, let's see, 28 years. And I figured out that that meant he got out of the military in 1980. Well, then he said he had a, an associate's degree from New Mexico State which happens to be where I graduated. He had an associate's degree in engineering technology, and then he said that he went to Columbia University and got a degree there. So, you know, at, at best, that put him in, at, to 1996. Well, then he writes, he calls them in 2003 and tells them that he remembers all of this, and then when Ramsey... Er, then he said that he had retired from some other company. So I thought, it's hard to believe a guy at age 46 would go back to school in 1980 and go two years, get engineering uh, technology associate's degree, then go to Columbia for four years, and then have time to retire from another company. I mean, none of this fits, especially when he was only four years old in 1948. But wasn't wasn't Virgil Riggs the person that introduced us to um, Donald Bass? Yes, he's the one that talked about knowing Donald Bass in, in the Air Force. And okay, know, well, we're gonna Air... we're gonna we're gonna have to take a break here. We'll come okay. back and we'll talk about Donald Bass in our last segment here and learn a little bit about that and some of the problems I've had with Donald Bass. Uh, when we, uh, I, I was going to say, the, uh, we will have more about this as 
where I'm trying to go with this and not doing a very articulate job of it at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com we'll have a lot of information at least links to information there so that you can learn a little bit more about some of these things that might be a little bit esoteric and when we come back we're going to learn about Donald Bass and how that all fits into the Aztec New Mexico story so we will be back right after this Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. 
There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. I am here with Monty Shriver, and we're talking about the Aztec New Mexico UFO crash, or I probably should say the alleged crash, because I don't think there's much evidence that anything really took place there, but there's been a lot written about it. Uh, what I was getting at uh, when, we, when we drifted off into Virgil Riggs and how some of what he said didn't make a lot of sense was this tale of Donald Bass. And according to the information that had been published, Donald Bass had been involved in this thing in some fashion, and he had uh, eventually ended up in Vietnam and was killed in a rather bizarre way in some kind of traffic accident in, in Vietnam. And I pointed out that there's no Donald Bass name on the wall in Washington, D.C., a place I've actually visited, by the way. And uh, I could find no record of Donald Bass having been killed in the military service. Uh, the response was, well, they say on these websites that list all the casualties from, from Vietnam that they may have missed somebody here and there. I just think it's odd when we get to things like this or people like this and we say, well, we can't find this record. It's always, well, they're the ones that just happen to be missed. We can't verify it. In the Roswell case, and I, I don't mean to go off on tangents here, but when people would give us a name, we could go to the yearbook and look to see if they were actually in Roswell, and many of them were. So that all all panned out. But but in this case with Donald Bass, I am told that they um, they have some information about it. I have offered repeatedly to check his military records, which is simple to do, and and even told them how to do it. But as far as I know, that's not been done yet. Anyhow, Donald Bass, uh, we were talking about him before we went away, and I throw it back to you, Monty, to expand on this. Well, actually, let me, uh, I really never did any investigation on Donald Bass. The point I was really trying to make, I only researched those items that I could get into on personal knowledge. So things like Silas Newton or Kahn or anything else, I never got into any of that work. I strictly wanted to look at what these folks said about Aztec and did it appear right or did it not appear right? Well, the let me let me let me let me reinforce this a minute. You actually live in New Mexico. You went to the Aztec High School. You graduated from the Aztec High School. You went to college in New Mexico. So you're right there in the area, and you interacted with these people in 1948 on a daily basis. So yeah. I mean, we you were there, and you can tell us exactly what's going on. So. Um, Virgil Riggs, of course, claimed that he had been, I think, with the OSS. Is that the guy that claimed he was with the OSS? No, I think that was, wasn't that a guy by the name of Reed? You could be right. You could be yeah, right. I don't, 
Yeah, I don't remember. There was someone who or went out to clean up the site and claimed he had been at the OSS. Yes, yes, and yes. I just that... looked at it and said, well, wait a minute. The OSS was de- disbanded a few years before he was there. <laughs> but, but it became but, the what Central, uh, Central Intelligence Group, and then it became the Central Intelligence Agency. So there was yeah. sort of a historical thread that runs back to the OSS, um, but of course the OSS wasn't involved at all. Uh, so Virgil oh, Riggs... I should mention, yeah, yes. I mean, the title of, of my book was, it's about time someone from Aztec, New Mexico wrote about the Aztec UFO that is alleged to have crashed in Hart Canyon on March 25th, 1948. So I'm the first one from Aztec, to my knowledge, ever written about it. And I think that gives you a great deal of credibility simply because you were there. And when you went into this investigation, did you have an agenda? Were you trying to disprove there was a crash or were you just looking for information? Well, you know, since I'd never really heard about it, I thought, here's three books that maybe it'll prove to me it was out there. Because I had had no preconceived notion. I just knew I'd never heard about it. I thought, well, I'm going to research these three books and see, you know, what it tells me. And I've reported what I found. And I should say, in all the years, although I was aware of you, I never paid any attention to them. Of course, I had, I knew about uh, Air Force Reg 200. I think that was the blue book. Uh, uh, 200-2, Air Force Regulation 200-2, and then it became yeah. Air Force Regulation 80-17, I believe. Uh, all I remember about it was I looked at it once, and I think it said if you held a coin, uh, I don't remember what size the coin was, at arm's length and compared it to the size of what you saw, you should, you know, say, okay, it was three times bigger than a quarter or whatever. That's all, but I'd never, even though I was top secret uh, clearance in Korea, I never would have had a need to know about them anyway, so I, I wouldn't have heard anything. And that's the thing I think people don't understand. I had a top-secret clearance, too, uh, both when I was in the Air Force and later when I was in the Army. And the only thing I ever saw in the Air Force, and I think I've mentioned this on the air before, was the weekly intelligence brief, the WIB, had an unclassified paragraph about a flight crew going into Japan, I believe it was, that saw a UFO. Uh, I never saw any other documentation, classified or otherwise, that dealt with UFOs while I was serving in the military. Um, And I kind of looked around for that sort of thing because I had that interest, but I never really saw anything, which proves nothing one way or another. Well, I had all the the target folders for the Far East, and I often wondered about how do we get all these neat photos of MiG sitting somewhere in Japan. In uh, right here, and then of course the U two got shot down, and I think my question was answered. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's the other thing I noticed. We we had we had photos that were were um, classified, but it wasn't because of the subject matter of the photo. It was because you might be able to identify where the photo had been taken, and that wow. could compromise a source in some fashion, yeah. or might well, compromise the U ten. Our problem. target folders told you exactly where is that, and that's why we kept them under lock and key. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we have to do that. Uh, we've got just a couple of minutes left here. Um, okay. Is there something else that that you, you find really outrageous about this Aztec story that you'd like to talk about? Well, I guess one more thing real quick was all the comments. Well, one thing I'll mention. In just one of his asides when he, he was looking for, this would have been Ramsey, looking for a radar site, he said it was right by El Vado Dam in New Mexico that was built to provide power for the 
installation at Los Alamos, which they didn't start building till late 42 or early 43. So I knew some about the history of the dam, and I worked it up. It was built in 1934 uh, by the Bureau of of Reclamation to provide water for the Middle Rio Grande Irrigation District. And Ramsey maintained, well, it had an eight... uh, what mega, megawatt, I guess it was, generator, provide power to uh, Los Alamos. Well, I talked to Los Alamos Utility Company. I mean, I've talked to everybody about this, and they said, well, shucks, we didn't put that in it until like 1980. So there again, he just threw out a term and made it assume like it was correct. And one quick thing I want to mention, I call it... Uh, Trying to find, I call it embellishments. I think this is important. Uh, Steinman interviewed, uh, go ahead, you got time? Or go ahead, quickly. Ar- uh, Valentin Archuleta and in 1982. And all Archuleta said was morning, one morning somewhere between 1948 and 1950. That's all he said. Well, when the Ramses interviewed him, he said it, they came up on a crisp March morning. He went out and did these things. Later, he said, I ran into the house and called the military in Albuquerque. They turned that into a full paragraph who said he took two or three attempts to get through to Kirtland, and on the third call, someone answered, and he talked to them and explained what was going on, and they said he would, they would call him back. He never said anything of that in the interview as recorded by Steinman. So what, 30 years later, they come along and say, well, this is what he said to Steinman. Well, I, th- I think to be fair to Scott Ramsey, um, I think that, that especially if you're not a professional writer, that sometimes you make a leap of logic that isn't necessarily uh, developed from the information that you have. You just assume something like this would have happened or something like that did happen and um, put it down. I, I know when he was talking about the uh, uh, Manuel so- Sandoval from from Cuba, Cuba, New Mexico. Cuba, yeah. That, uh, Cuba, New Mexico. That um, it read in the first book as if uh, uh, Sandoval had been talking to them and, and feeding the information, and you find out that it came from a third cousin or something. They didn't. They yeah, didn't talk Donnie to Sandoval. Hernandez. Well, and another another thing about Sandoval, he said Sandoval patrolled the line for Southern Union Gas in 1948. Well, I also found a document, it wasn't until 1949 that, in essence, the Atomic Energy Commission uh, wrote a contract for Southern Union to provide gas to them in ni- sometime in late 1949. So he had him patrolling a gas line a year before it existed. Well, and, and as I say, I think part of the problem is uh, when we get to the original sources, when we get to the original people, or we look at the sources, we find out it's not quite as... Um, Quite as quite as good as as we would would have have would have have hoped, uh, and, and that well, that what, sort of goes what, a lot. Go ahead. One quick item. Remember, I was assured by Frank Warren and by the co-author of the book here he would do a rebuttal to my first book. And remember, you had to promise you would publish it. By you know, Frank Warren is afraid you wouldn't publish it if you remember that. I I think Frank knows I would have published it. <laughs> Well, in the second book, I said, aha, he's finally written the rebuttal. It wasn't. It kept most of the original errors in, one which is significant. I wish we had time to talk about it, but it's all in my books, and I should say for sale by the San Juan County Historical Society in Aztec. 
Okay, let's uh, thank you for being here with us and, and uh, enlightening us to the points in Aztec, New Mexico. And uh, for those of you who are interested, take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. We will have more information about this and links to some of that information. Next week, we're going to be joined by Nick Redfern. We're going to be talking about Roswell because Nick has done some more work on his theory that what uh, fell at Roswell was a government experiment that ended in the deaths of some of these people. And that was reason for the cover-up. And uh, we'll be talking about Roswell in the 21st century and what I have uncovered in the last few months uh, about that as well. So you might want to take a look at that book. We will be back with you in 167 hours. And as I say, we'll be here with Nick Redfern. So uh, look for us at that time. <laughs>